Good day, everyone. It's Peter here, Peter Westerby, Pete's podcast on community development. I think people know where I'm based now, Jinnabara, Mullaney in Australia. And I'm really delighted to be here with Charlie McConnell for our second episode on this series that's really exploring um, both the, the new book that Charlie and Daniel and Anna have put together, International Community Development, but really focusing on the, the, the issues around professionalization or what is it to have an, a profession. So welcome to you, Charlie, for episode two. How are you going? Very well, thanks, Peter, and uh, looking forward to it. Enjoyed it last time. Yeah, so our listeners might not even remember. It was a week ago since they listened. And um, I guess we, we really, I really loved hearing some of your stories reflect on the late 60s, early 70s, um, some of those beautiful references, Freya, Alinsky, Illich. And I think that's kind of where we got to this dilemma of we need a profession or we need some kind of skilled, effective community development workers. And this like Ivan Illich's critique, the disabling profession and how we put these two things together. So I went away and I re-looked at the chapter that you really opened this beautiful book with and it's titled The Making of an Empowering Profession which you kind of have started us, um, started giving us the historical. And I guess I'm, I'm very curious, like if we're making an empowering profession and here we are 2022, like what are the challenges, the opportunities around such a making? And I've certainly got my ideas, but you've been in this um, wonderful field for many decades, so I'm really, curious and, and our listeners will be too. What are they? Well, first, I mean, when I use the term making of an empowering profession, it's just really it's describing a journey yep. that we've all been on, those of us involved in this field. And chapter one of the book talks about the starting point of the UN back in the 50s, talking about technical aid support, participatory development approaches to low-income countries and then how community development methods and approaches spread into uh, all countries of the world trying to tackle poverty, unemployment, climate change, all these sorts of issues. And how the practitioners, at one level it was a statement of fact that over those decades the field itself has wanted to create national associations, wanted to create academic journals, want to create professional training, wanted to create a continuing professional development to upskill, and, uh, you know, look, be able to deal with new changing challenges, wanted to create national institutes and foundations to support the work we're doing. So at one level, I'm just talking about the making of a profession. It was about the making of that architecture, that the field, and when I talk about the field, I'm talking about practitioners, but I'm also talking about the employers, Yep. the agencies, the NGOs, the municipalities, et cetera, and the whole range of disciplines that now do community development practice or you know, would like to be doing community development practice. 
So in a sense, that's why I'm talking about the making of it. It's the building up of an architecture of support in order to be able to offer the best and most professional service we can. And that it's not just a technical service, it's a value-driven uh, field. Uh, and that the work we do is of the best that we can offer to disadvantaged and vulnerable communities. What I'm not saying is that uh, the only people that do community development uh, practice are the people who are professionally qualified and trained. But what I am saying is one of the major, one of the stakeholder elements within that are those professional practitioners who are trained and supported, the employing agencies, etc., and the policy framework that is supportive towards that, yep. and how it's had to be made. We've had to work towards uh, creating that over many decades. It wasn't the development work we're doing now is not the same as the development work that the UN was first called. Yeah. So it's an evolving. Yeah, so that's the first element. But I'm certainly what I'm not saying is that community activists and communities themselves are not central players in this process. Of course they are, and they require and I'm sure would want to have any training support or skills development or knowledge support or whatever uh, to achieve that. And I very much hope IACD's next book will focus on the support for community activists. But in this particular uh, book and in this particular journey, it was about how the field of prof the professional field has sought to build up that architecture to support itself. Yeah. So in some ways, you're, you're, you've written a book chapter that describes what is happening globally. And I, you know, I certainly, even my 25 years work in South Africa, I, I watched, you know, the evolution of this field, um, you know, the national governments employing community development workers, realizing they needed universities to then provide a degree, you know, a development community development association um but but i mean i guess i've always you know with that comes risks and i you know I, you and i i remember when we met in new zealand i was saying you know community development is a citizen and a professional project and you're like no peter community development is a professional project and yes we support activists and we work with them and Yes, they can have RP recognition of prior learning to come into programs. But I, I guess I still live with that dilemma because I, I want community development to be both a professional practice and a, a practice that citizens can, you know, help make sense of what they do in, in their lives. And I guess, yeah, I'm, I'm curious, yeah, we, we've surfaced that discussion within ourselves and yeah. what you might say. Um, I, I don't hold it tightly. I would never break a relationship over that position. But you know what I mean? Nor I. Nor yeah. I at all. No. Yeah. And of course, when I got involved in this, as we spoke a wee bit in the last podcast, I suppose it was a, it was a, a movement I felt I was joining for, yes. for political and social change. Yes. But I think on my journey, I felt I wanted to be better at it. Yeah. I wanted to learn how to do it. And I wanted to learn from around the world how to do it. And I think there is, I think it's disingenuous to say uh, that these are entirely the same people, the activists who are fantastic. Don't, sorry, I'm not in yeah, any yeah. sense belittling activists. 
people powers at the center of this and trained and educated development practitioners and supported development practitioners who are paid to do a job i mean hopefully paid to do a job some of it maybe will do it unpaid but hopefully yeah. are paid to do a job it's rather like i'm not saying it's the doctor patient relationship i'm not saying that because it's a much the very essence of our work is about dialogue and about the more equal relationship but there is a difference between a community activist who doesn't have to abide by the values-based approach that we spoke about this about right-wing populism in the last podcast a lot of community activism is not about social justice not anymore a lot of citizen yeah. organizing is not about social justice a lot of it is but a lot of it is yeah. Whereas community development practitioners should uphold professional ethics and values and a commitment to social and environmental justice. So I think I'm putting that strongly in this in the, as a stake in the sand that there are things if you're paid to do a job, you have to absolutely stand by certain a, a values-driven approach to the work that you do. I guess I guess I, I'm I'm fully with you and I hear your caveats and you know, being very careful how you position this. And I'm, I guess, you know, it's, I've watched the social work profession and I've watched the youth work profession, particularly say in Australia. And because they have professionalized, you know, there, there's obviously the renewing energy that maintains a commitment to the original vision of social justice or youth justice. But in many ways, the professionalization agenda leads them to be defending their profession. Like the energy goes into the profession and better rights, better pay, you know, more academic language, better evidence through research. And, and so there's this drift towards the energy goes into the profession not the mission of the profession, if that makes sense. I, I, I agree yeah. entirely. I think that's absolutely spot on, Peter. And I think there are risks facing every field. And our field has fallen into all of those traps. I think, our, for example, professional education and training of development practitioners has become far too academic. The academics in the universities pressurized by having to write peer review books and journals and all that. Uh, frankly, I think they've lost the ability to write in plain language. They've often got just gone down some sort of, you know, academic wormhole or whatever. Yeah, actually, so there has been an, a mismatch between the world of community development academia and the practitioners on the ground who really do want to share experiences, learn together, get the support from. So I don't think necessarily universities are necessarily the best place to be training people as practitioners. They have a role to play, of course they do, and there's a massive investment goes into it. But we've fallen down all those traps. We have fallen down all those traps and you have to be vigilant and constantly remind yourself. So I, you're spot on in what you're saying, Peter. I do agree with that. Uh, but it's about putting the corrections in and it's about being yeah. self-aware being a reflective practitioner and also for the practitioners that do go into the world of scholarship and academic research don't lose your ability to talk and speak in a plain language i mean i i got hit hard when i left the world of community development teaching in the mid 80s i went to work for the consumer movement internationally and 
nationally. And I remember a colleague saying to me, Christ, you write in this social science speak. You really do. You know, where the hell did you, you know? And I realized that my journey had been very largely because I'd done my master's in community development. I'd gone far too quickly into teaching, into teaching it after barely a handful of years of practice. And he said, talk as you speak. Yeah. Write, so, sorry, write as you speak. Write in a way that you're talking to your mum and dad or some ordinary citizen in the street. And you look at the community development journal and look, look at a lot of our textbooks in the development field and they don't do that. So I think I have to say my, I would lay, lay a lot of the critique at the academics in our field, not the practitioners for getting this wrong. And we need a very, very quick, uh, you know, it's very important that we take, take stock of yeah, I feel puts more practice. Employers put more practice on the higher education institutes to actually be a bit more transparent and open and to look at their own continued professional development. Yeah, I think, I mean, there's two things there, Char Charlie. One, I, I think I remember you sharing with me that when you edited this book, it took you two years to pull the language back from academic unin unintelligible to what you think the readers can understand. So that's that which you can confirm whether that antidote is true. And the second thing, there's, you know, in Australia, there's a bit of a retreat from community development workers being taught at universities. Like universities no longer see a market, you know, really compared to other markets and so we're actually struggling with well what is the right place for education and training of you know the future generations of community settlement we're really living with that question across australia at the moment yeah so yeah, first, yeah. Uh, no i think that's probably a, a common one yeah I'm sure a number of countries will find it. I mean, my feeling is there is a massive amount of public investments go into universities and let's prize these institutions open and make them work for us. Yeah. Uh, I do think actually with things like the sustainable development goals that I mentioned in the last podcast, there is a growing demand and recognition for that communities need support and mobilization and technical assistance and all that sort of stuff to deal with these massive SDG challenges. That are around and the additional ones that have been chucked at these disadvantaged and vulnerable communities. So uh, I, I think, although they may not be called community development degrees, they may have a different title. I think you will find there is a there will be an an employer-led demand for people uh, with the sorts of skills that we're talking about, the sort of values and knowledge that we're talking about. Uh, whether it's in the health field or the anti-child poverty field or in the environmental, you know, protection and resilience field or whatever, you've got to have the people mo mobilization and support and technical systems absolutely vital to deal with yeah. those, you know, endemic issues that are so vast. Well, and and I yeah, think so, I think I remember yeah. from your story, you've also worked in that space of educating the managers of community development workers. And I, I think I'd really like maybe as we wind this second episode up, because for me, that's a really big dilemma. Often the good community development workers struggle because their managers don't understand this practice. So they 
you know, they use the same logics of budgeting and accountability and audit that they might use in a, in a top-down service program rather than a bottom-up participatory program. So I'm very curious if you have got a, a final kind of comment about how do we you know, do education of professional managers, yeah? yeah? No, it's a good point. I mean, I mean over the years, practitioners, field workers have gone into management and hopefully they take those values and skills with them, working holistically, working in a people empowering way, working in, in teams with different disciplines, all that sort of stuff and discipline development programs. But, but you're absolutely right. Uh, I mean, 30 odd years ago, I worked with the Council of Europe and with municipalities across Europe and they were saying on policy terms, Commit yourself to community development. Have community development strategies and programs across across Europe. And of course, it's an easy thing to say. And when yeah. you have maybe a rather paternalistic type of government machine and a culture within, uh, you know, municipalities, and also, frankly, also within some NGOs, uh, you have to look at their continued professional development needs. Uh, we certainly did quite a bit of that when I was at Schumacher College, where we would have in service and short courses for managers from CSR, you know, corporate social responsibility, people working in the private sector, people working in municipalities, NGOs, or whatever. It is absolutely vital that people at different level, agency level up to director level, are supportive. Because I think these are actually these approaches and methods that we call community are very applicable to yeah. any type of organizational empowerment, frankly, because you want your whole, you know, I, I'd like to see the local authority being a community development enabler. Yes. That is bringing all these resources. I don't see community development just as tiny pots of elastoplast money chucked at small project or asset-based community development building up self-help again. I don't, it has to be much, much bigger than that. Yes. We're gonna be serious about the scale of the issues. So yes, you're quite right. We have to work with the managers, with the policy advice, all these, as well as the practitioners. And I think maybe that's a very big question of how to do that better. And I, I certainly know in a recent Community Development Queensland seminar, which is my, you know, community of comrades here, you know, we recently had a 50-year reflection on our work because we're a 50-year-old network. And we thought... Congratulations. Well, well, we've done pretty well, except we've not really been successful in the policy and that, you know, that level of influencing policy. But, um, and I think that that's a good way to finish, Charlie, because it's 19 minutes. And I'm I, like our third episode, I really would love us to hear like the IACD, which you were previous president of and still very much a, a person uh, in, in that international association, what, what's the dreams and aspirations around in supporting this professionalization sort of agenda globally? I'd really love us to focus on that if you're up for it. Yep. Look forward to it. Thank you so much. Great. Well, you have a lovely morning in Spain as I finish my afternoon in Australia. And um, I hope the listeners enjoyed that. So you take care, Charlie.